You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 421, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. David Hill is a staff software engineer with CareRev and just moved to Independence, Missouri. He just gave his first ever conference presentation at RailsConf 2022 titled Reacting to Hotwire. Despite how nervous he was going into the experience, he's looking forward to presenting at a conference again in the future. Welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, David. Thanks, Brittany. It's great to be here. This is now my first podcast I'll have ever been on, too. Oh, that is so fabulous. David, after we got to meet at RailsConf, and of course, you spoke on the track that I curated, I was very eager to get you onto the show. I'm excited to be here. Great. Well, David, of course, I need to know, what is your developer origin story? So <laughs> I knew this question was coming and it's a kind of a weird three-part story, I guess. When I grew up around computers, since my dad was a programmer, but I had very little interest in programming itself. I'd mostly just use them for video games like you do. And my kind of lifelong goal as a kid and in high school is I wanted to be a stage television movie actor. So that was really my goal. And my parents continued to try to dissuade me from that because I also wanted to have a stable family life. And that kind of lifestyle, stereotypically at least, is not really conducive to having a stable family. But then part of my church and part of my faith, we tend to spend two years serving as a missionary for our church somewhere in the world where we're assigned to go. And so while I was serving on my mission, I just kind of woke up one day and realized I want to be a programmer. I had done a year of college before I went on my mission and I took an intro to programming class for, I think it was Pascal. And it just, it didn't really click for me at all. But like I had this kind of epiphany while I was serving as a missionary and I came back and took the same class again, but this time it was Java. So it was a bit more modern and it really clicked and I started really kind of enjoying it. And so I decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. But then kind of the second inflection point came when at one point I kind of stumbled on MySQL and PHP and kind of had this thought where it's like, I think with server-side code and databases, I think people could build some really interesting things. You know, this was back in like 2004, 2005, before a lot of the internet really exploded with all the e-commerce and everything else that has grown up since then. And so... Yeah, I started teaching myself PHP and database and SQL stuff on the side in the evenings while doing my Java and C++ coursework during the day for school. And this was the direction I wanted to go with my career is I wanted to do web stuff. And it was just really kind of fascinating seeing how it's grown in the years since then. That is so fantastic. You know, David, I have a special affinity for people that just have pure ambition. And the fact that you were doing coursework while also learning other frameworks and languages on the side is just incredibly impressive. I also came up through Pascal and Java, so I completely feel you on that. I took Pascal in high school, absolutely hated it. Eventually took Java in community college. And I was like, oh, okay, I think I like this a little more. Right. Never touched PHP. I need to try it at some point, I think, (laughs) because then I selfishly went right to Ruby. But I want to know what brought you to Ruby and Rails. So that's kind of the third kind of inflection point in my career was after I graduated college, had my degree. And like, I actually worked full time the last couple of years while doing my schooling part time because that was the way the market was going at the time. I could get a job even without the degree. After I graduated, we moved to Kansas City because that's where my wife is from. Her whole family's from here. So she wanted to be close to her family. And I found a job with an advertising agency that hired me to do Java work. And then on day one at the job, they pulled me aside and said, we don't actually have anything for you to work on in Java. We're going to put you on this different team. Go learn this thing called Ruby on Rails. 
Wow. So, so what did you do to tackle learning Ruby on Rails at that point? So, yeah, I, on the way home, I dropped by Barnes & Noble and went to like their programming books section. Basically, I learned Ruby on Rails by building a blog or something really mundane like that. Because, you know, DHH has the video or like near the 15 minute blog thing where it's like mm -hmm. it's really basic and skeletal. And so like this whole book was like trying to do a, you know, not quite a WordPress thing, but a much more fleshed out, fully featured type thing than what DHH was doing in that 15 minute video. So, yeah, I just I went and I got that book and I started working through that book. And I think by the end of that week, I was doing bug fixes in the existing applications. And the week after that, I was like adding features and things and just kind of learning it on the fly. That is so cool. Do you happen to remember what Rails version it was that you learned on? I don't remember precisely, but this was back in like 2008 or 2009. So somewhere in the one to early two realm. I consider that OG, David, but I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I consider it OG if you've seen the Rails 2 to Rails 3 transition. So you can yeah. go for a while. I'm one of those quiet people that, yeah, I've been here for a while, but I just, you've never heard of me. <laughs> I love that. So does that mean that your entire career then going forward has always been some component of Ruby and Rails? Almost. I took a six month break at one point where at a job we had decided we needed some front end JavaScript framework at one point. And you know, I had used Ember or tried to use Ember. I had tried Angular and Backbone and none of them really clicked for me for a variety of reasons. But then we tried React and the three developers that were on the team, me and two other guys, we all really liked React at the time. It worked for us. We got it set up easily and we all kind of grok it and use it. But then when layoffs happened at that company because there's an acquisition and there's a whole story there, we kind of saw it coming because our, our team lead, thankfully, like saw it coming and told us that if we were so inclined, we should start looking. I found a job in a pure React shop because I knew as three Rails developers using React and trying to figure it out from stuff we could find online, that we weren't really using it the way like actual React developers would use it. And I wanted to get more of a feel for how the people who use it every day all the time were using it thinking that that would be a better, more efficient way of using that tool. So yeah, so I spent six months just doing React, but I came back to Ruby when that was over. Well, that is the perfect segue to get into your talk. But before we do, I want to touch upon something you just said. The fact that team lead warned you and had more loyalty towards the team versus the company plans is just really heartwarming. And whoever that person is out there, you're a good person. And he, this is the kind of person that I want to emulate as a manager. So that's really fantastic. Yeah, he was amazing. And he'll come up again in our conversation when we talk about something else. Okay, excellent. Well, we spoiled it at the bio at the top of the show, but you just gave your first big conference talk on the Make a Switch track, and it was called Reacting to Hotwire. And privately, David, I had told you that this was one of the talks that was the easiest to select for this track. It was literally written into the description. We were looking for someone to come in and pitch switching from something to Hotwire. And I was hoping it would be React. And then you came in with a proposal that was so well-written that I was just completely stoked. It was a very easy choice. So I'm going to read the premise real quick. Okay. I was fully on board with React as my front-end JavaScript framework of choice for years. That all changed when I suddenly had to support a standalone React app that I had no hand in building. Thankfully, Hotwire had just been released and my manager was aware of how painful maintaining this application was going to be. So I started the process of migrating the React app into the Rails application using Hotwire as the new front-end framework. How did it go? What lessons were learned? 
And would I do it again? So David, first off, how did the talk go? Did it meet your expectations? My expectation, my goal for a long time has been that I wanted to do a presentation at RailsConf. And so, yeah, I did it. I got it done. But yeah, it was a really fun experience to be able to stand up there and present this series of experiences that I had and talk about the trials and the hurdles I had to, to overcome to get to that point. All of that. Yeah, it was a great experience. Well, the two things that I noted during your talk, first of all, you were placed in the biggest room, which I was super excited about for you. Giving your first talk at a big conference and then be placed in the largest keynote room is daunting, but really great. And then when your talk wrapped up, you were absolutely mobbed by people. And in some ways, it is the most wonderful experience. First of all, you got to speak on day one, which is definitely ideal. But then you just have something to talk about with all these people. And then going forward through the rest of the conference, they can be like, hey, you're the hot wire guy. Like, you know, I want to talk about your talk. It's so wonderful when that happens. And that was one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about was that like back in high school, I used to refer to myself as shy. And anytime I would say that, like the people who knew me would kind of give me the side eye and I could almost see them saying like Princess Bride quote of you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And it wasn't until, you know, years later, I was introduced to concepts of like of the introvert versus the extrovert that I was like, oh, I'm not really shy, but I'm this kind of unusual introvert where I have a really hard time introducing myself to new people and meeting new people. And then once that ice has been broken, I'm a pretty relaxed and easy guy to get along with and communicate with. But like that initial step is really hard for me for some reason. But yeah, giving a talk at RailsConf I found was a tremendous kind of bandage over that problem for me because like you said, all these people that came up afterwards and sometimes it was as simple as, oh, I really liked your talk. And other times they wanted to have a conversation about some aspect of Hotwire that they've been wrestling with or problems with React that I kind of mentioned in the talk that they've also been struggling with. And so like I got to skip the whole anxiety level of trying to introduce myself to new people and got to skip straight to the conversation about things that we're both interested in. That's fantastic. And David, I truly believe that there are more people like you out there, people that have been writing Ruby for a long time, people that have been involved in the Rails community for a long time. It sounds like giving a conference talk was kind of like your debut of like, I'm here and I'm still really excited about this community. Do you feel that you've been involved in the community in other ways? Have you been attending conferences? Are there forums that you're in? Like, I'm just very interested in the whole idea of community content, tying everybody together. So this was my first Rails conference that I spoke at, but it was my fifth or sixth one to attend. Why do you Um, keep attending? I mean... I feel like there's just so much that I've been able to learn and glean from other people in the presentations. And it's said as often as a joke sometimes, but like the hallway track is a real thing. Earlier in my Rails career, when I would move on to a different job and then I would be able to meet up with previous coworkers at RailsConf that would be attending there too and being able to catch up with them and talk with them about what they're doing and what they've learned and how they're applying different things to projects they're working on has just been super interesting and beneficial to see what other people are doing in the community. That's fantastic. Well, this talk will be available to everyone at the home edition and then available to the public later in the summer. Are you currently signed up for a Q&A slot for home edition, David? I sent in the email the same day I got the email asking if I would be interested in doing it, saying, yes, I'd be interested in doing that. So I should be involved. I think that's great because you did such a great job during your talk. So what's going to happen during the home edition? And they're still planning this out. And I think we'll see more announcements coming. 
but they're going to run the talks on a schedule and then speakers who are available are going to be available to answer Q&A from all the attendees. And in some ways, it's an awesome use of content because you've already given the talk. You already know that you said you don't have to give the talk again. However, the audience for the at-home edition is entirely different. And so you kind of get to like 3X that good feeling that you got from the in-person edition. Right. I'm looking forward to it. So ahead of anybody seeing the talk, are there any takeaways that you can share ahead? Maybe we can just answer the questions at the end of your premise. Did that transition go well? What lessons did you learn and would you do it again? Yeah. So the transition itself, the experience that I was kind of documenting for the talk, it went really well. We launched the new application using Hotwire. I reached out to my previous managers in preparation for the talk to see how things had gone since I've moved on to a different job. And yeah, they're still using that application. They're still building on it. They used that Hotwire foundation to rebuild one of their other applications that was also causing them problems with React. It went really well. As far as doing it again, that was kind of one of the realizations I came to in preparing for the talk is like on a personal level, I would absolutely choose to use Hotwire over React going forward. But that's going to depend on so many other factors for people, like what the business case and business model is and whether you've got a team that can do React or whether you're more of a solo entrepreneur developer. I think Hotwire is especially well suited to someone who's doing something solo or small team because it just minimizes the skill set you need in order to get something moving and developed that has some dynamic front end pieces to it. Okay, well, listeners, definitely, if you haven't bought an at-home edition ticket, then you might want to consider it so you can see David's talk, but it will be eventually available towards the end of the summer. Now, while we're on the topic of conferences, can we please discuss the success of the Rails SaaS conference? Oh, my goodness. This has me so excited, even though I don't think I'm going to be able to go. It's like I was vaguely aware of Bullet Train before... RailsConf. And then I actually got to meet and talk with Andrew Culver a little bit while I was there over breakfast one morning. From my admittedly limited experience interacting with him, he seemed like just such a super smart, personable guy. And then partially based on my interacting with him and partially based on your mentioning of it on previous episodes, I started listening to Framework Friends and listening to his story and his experiences and thoughts on things just all seemed super fascinating. And so him announcing this conference in L.A., It just sounds super interesting and fascinating and right down the alley of the things that I want to be doing. I'm so glad and happy for him that the interest expressed by the community has already surpassed like his wildest expectations for what was going to be happening there. I agree. It's absolutely wild. And what I've told Andrew is that he is just known for the word and the word is quality. Everything he does is quality. And so, of course, people want to partake in it. And I got to spend some time with Andrew at Sin City Ruby, and I just realized how special it is, those smaller conferences. And so when I saw the tickets go on sale yesterday, I was like, I'm going to regret if I don't buy a ticket now. And so I did, and I'm glad I did because they're currently in sold out status. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a slick looking website. It's a great location. And I really just hope this inspires more people to do these regional conferences because... I'm ready to start seeing stuff again. (laughs) Yeah. And so many people that I talked to at RailsConf, I got to hang out with Drew Bragg quite a bit. And he and multiple other people kept saying how much they enjoyed Sin City Ruby and how much they hope that inspires more of the smaller regional conferences to come back. Because a lot of people with the pandemic and everything else, I think a lot of people in the community have really missed those opportunities to collaborate and talk with other people in the community and see whatever the people are working on. 
I couldn't agree more. Well, before we switch seats, I'm going to take a quick break for one of our sponsors, AppSignal. Most of you probably know our newest sponsor, AppSignal, because they've been around since 2013. With AppSignal, you can monitor your Ruby apps from A to Z, error tracking, performance insights, server metrics, uptime, custom dashboards, you name it, they have it. AppSignal works smoothly out of the box, installation takes only a few minutes and works for all popular Ruby frameworks. It automatically instruments and creates beautiful dashboards for Sidekick, ActiveJob, and other integrations. Visit appsignal.com slash ROR podcast for more information. As a lifter of the Ruby on Rails podcast, you get a 10% discount and a box of sweet treats. That's appsignal.com slash ROR podcast. Link will be in the show notes. Thank you, AppSignal, for your sponsorship. Now, David, we are going to have a little more fun. We're going to turn the tables a little bit because you have some questions for me about starting a podcast. We started to discuss it and figured, hey, why not add this into the show? So I'm ready. Hit me. Okay, here we go. So a lot of the kind of Ruby adjacent podcasts that I've been listening to these days benefit from one or two kind of factors. Like one of them is a lot of them have multiple hosts. Framework Friends, Remote Ruby, Software Social, your podcast here, oftentimes you've got multiple hosts so you can have this kind of conversation back and forth. Or they bring in regular guests to talk and have conversations about things that they're working on, their thoughts on things. Your podcast does both of those things. Either way, the setup lends itself really well at just having these conversations and exploring different perspectives. Do you think that's an accurate read on the current podcasting environment? Yeah, this is a topic that I have spent a lot of time thinking about, and it's really because of Kyle Daigle, who I took over the Ruby on Rails podcast from. When he took it over from Sean Devine, he wanted to do an interview type format, and he did that for a couple episodes, and he realized that it was a lot of work. And one of the things that he enjoyed was the ability to get updates from different co-hosts. And so that's how I got introduced into the podcast is that Kyle enlisted four different rotating co-hosts. And so I would make guest appearances every couple of weeks. And that seemed to work really well because by the time, you know, a couple of weeks later that I had been on, I had some interesting updates to share with him. And really those kind of topics like drove an interesting podcast. And so when we moved the Ruby on Rails podcast from the 5x5 network, and I was really kind of like redoing it, we're almost at a year on that, which is exciting. I thought about it and I realized that I had some guests in the past that were really popular that I was always eager to get updates from. And so we decided to bring on Gemma, Nick and Brian as rotating co-hosts. And so every six weeks they come on and it kind of gives that current timeline. And so we get updates from them. But it's still really important to me that I do the interview type formats because like yourself, I'm really eager to get new people onto the show that have just never been on a podcast before. And if I kept it trapped in a always co-host type situation, I wouldn't have that ability. So part of it, my advice to you, David, is really take the time and look at the podcast that you currently listen to Which podcasts, when you see they have a new episode, are you like, yes, I am so excited. I'm eager to get into the car because I know the show has a new episode. For me, that is Art of Product. I love listening to Ben and Derek. And part of that is because they are two co-hosts that always have great updates. Now you've given me another podcast I have to listen to. Okay, so as someone who doesn't currently have anyone kind of in my 
circle of contact that I could start and co-host the podcast with, that makes me think I would have to lean more heavily into the getting guests to show up to talk to in order to be more than me just talking to myself. How did you go about when you were starting to take over the podcast here? How did you go about first getting guests to come on the show? So I still want to answer your question, but can I ask you a question first? Sure. Okay. So we're technical, which is awesome. We are the desirable people when people are starting a business. You always see a business co-founder and a technical co-founder. So I guess my question for you, David, have you considered looking for a podcast co-founder? Remember how I talked about I have a difficulty meeting people? (laughs) (laughs) But you're on this show and people are listening. So if you were to start a podcast, what would it be about? Is there a certain niche that you would be targeting? Because then once you know the thing that you're going to be doing, take Jason Sweat, for example. Now, Jason has his podcast, Code with Jason, but it originally started as specifically a Rails testing podcast. He had the niche that he was targeting. And so he knew what he wanted to talk about. He knew what guests he wanted to bring on. And so if there's a specific area that you feel very confident about, that would be great. David, my suggestion might be for you. You've been here for a long time in this community. You've seen things. I would love for someone to start a podcast in our community talking about the things from way back when so I could be more educated. To take notes on this to make sure I don't lose it. <laughs> David, you will be able to listen to this podcast episode. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I operate better when I have things written down and mm-hmm. as opposed to just listening to them. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. The idea for a podcast that keeps rattling around in my brain with like Rails being this thing that likes to refer to itself as opinionated software, right? Mm -hmm. That things should be done a certain way because it's the easier, smoother, general purpose way that works for 90% of the cases. I kind of had this idea of doing a podcast called Opinionated Developer, just kind of talking with people about things that they do or do not like about the language or framework that they're working on. There are a lot of podcasts that like they only really focus on the development pit thing, but like I have this kind of interest in wanting to get a little bit of kind of insight into what they do outside of programming. If all they do is programming, that's great. We can talk about programming more, but also wanted to get a little bit of an insight and, you know, when you're looking to relax, what do you do for fun outside of programming? What other kinds of hobbies or activities do you engage in to kind of get a, a more whole person glimpse of who they are other than just, oh, I'm a developer and that's all I ever am. Okay. I love that. I think there's two ideas in there. The first one about the opinion. One of my interview questions that I ask, currently right now I'm interviewing a senior React developers and I ask them, I say, hey, what strong opinions do you have on React? Do you have any opinions that others might view as controversial when you're starting a new application? What things must you be using? I must use Redux for state store. I would never not use context. Those are the kinds of things I'm looking for because I'm looking for passion. And so some candidates look at me like, why is she asking this? But I genuinely believe that you have opinions when you care about something. And so I'm not asking for you to be rigid in your opinions. I'm just asking you what your opinions are. So I think that is an interesting topic. And I am interested in what people do outside of programming because I did tell this story on a past episode, but I was asked whether or not engineers have hobbies because their jobs are so boring. That is not the case. (laughs) (laughs) If you've been considering trying Honey Badger, now is the time. They have two really cool new features I just learned about. They now have status pages and can monitor your SSL certs. Whether US East 1 is down or you forgot to add a configuration file, everyone has an outage from time to time. 
When your next outage occurs, transparency is critical. The difference between a minor annoyance that people soon forget and a fiasco that creates sustained resentment is in how you communicate. They just shipped an update that can help communicate outages to your customers. Public status pages with custom domains and branding. Many certificate authorities, such as Let's Encrypt, will automatically renew your SSL certificates for you. But if you manage your own certificates, you have to remember to renew them yourself. If you forget, your customers won't be able to access your website and HoneyBadger will sound the alarm. HoneyBadger Uptime Monitoring can now warn you before your SSL certificates expire so that you remember to update them before your customers are affected. Check out HoneyBadger.io to learn more. That lends well into the question that your original question, once you know the idea of the podcast and you're able to make a pitch, it's really not that hard to find guests as long as you know what you're looking for. And so it's writing up that pitch, having a couple of people in the community vet it. And then my next recommendation for you, David, don't ever start a podcast with one episode. Start a podcast with at least three or four or even five episodes ready So that way you don't feel pressured to produce a ton of content right after you have a little bit of success. And you have to know that things take a while to get going. I was lucky that I inherited a podcast, but I also inherited a podcast that had gone dark for a year. So it it took a lot of work to build back up the listenership again. Yeah, I've heard you give the advice of starting with a backlog before. So yeah, I'm aware of that being a good idea. And I don't think that you need to start out with all the fancy equipment. Now, I think Paul will agree with me that your mic sounds great, but you don't need to hire an editor right off the bat. You don't need fancy artwork. You just need the basics. You need a good hosting site and you need to have at least some sort of structure, whether it's asking the questions to your guests ahead of time or you always record on this day and at this time, like whatever it's going to be for you. Whatever's going to keep you excited to record the show is what you need to do to get started. Awesome. And this is exactly what I wanted, David, because, you know, I ended up curating the Make a Switch track at RailsConf, but the community content track was also mine as well. And I just, I want to see more podcasts. I want to see more competition because to me, we have not reached the realm of there being too many Ruby or Rails or programming podcasts out there. I think there is a podcast out there for everybody and it would make me happy to have you out there hosting a new podcast. It would be even better if you're bringing on guests that haven't been on a show before. And one of the words you just used of of there being more competition, that was like a bit of a misconception I think I walked into with the podcast environment because like going into that podcast panel at RailsConf and like seeing you all up there, like it wasn't competition. You all knew each other. You've all, I assume, have interacted with each other before. It was clearly a very friendly environment. It wasn't a competitive environment. And like having the chance to interact with you and with Andrew Culver and Drew Bragg and Chris Oliver, like I feel like every single one of those podcast hosts celebrates everybody else's victories. That's not really a competition. It's really just like you said, it's this community content and this community building that like we're all just trying to help everybody have access to the tools to make something cool and better. Absolutely. We consider every single listener that we have, especially if we bring in listeners who then become interested in the Ruby and Rails community, that is a group win. And I've declared it many times before that I am the president of the Andrew Mason fan club. And he is one of the reasons that just that entire group is so friendly and so chill with each other. We all do celebrate each other's wins and we want to bring up other people. So people like Drew Bragg, who start their own podcast, we all immediately agreed to guest and help him out because 
we like him. We like what he does in our community and we want to see more of it. Nice. Yeah. So I'm going to wrap it back to you, David, as someone who's been in the community for a while and sounds like I'm going to hold you to it starting a podcast. What are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? I think the future is pretty bright. Now, we've had some little bit of turbulent times in the recent past with some of like the governorship of Rails. But the community itself, I think, is really strong and growing and can push forward to cooler, better things. One of the things I wanted to plug briefly and circling back to that manager who gave me the warrant layoffs coming. When I got that job, I got that job partially because in the year previous, I had the opportunity to be a scholarship opportunity guide for RailsConf and had briefly blogged about that experience. And he went and looked me up and found that blog and saw that I had done that. And that was kind of the the last little cherry on top that got me that job. But then the person that I was the guide for, seeing her at RailsConf this past week and seeing her give a talk at RailsConf, everything that she's accomplished, she works at Shopify now. That's no reflection on me at all because I had no influence in her career. But like having that personal connection to her and seeing how she's gone from brand new first-timed RailsConf to presenting at RailsConf and working at Shopify was just so, so satisfying to see how far she's come and to know that I, I knew her back then. So yeah, if, fair listener, if you ever had the opportunity to be a guide at RailsConf, I highly recommend the experience. I couldn't agree more. Now, David, how can listeners follow you and get updates on when you're ready with your podcast? I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is my first and middle name, David Ishmael, spelled E-S-M-A-L-E. I know it's weird. My mother claims it's like an Italian or Latin spelling, and I have never been able to corroborate that. That's so funny. I love that. Well, we'll link that all up in the show notes. David, thank you so much for guesting on the show today. Truly meeting you at RailsConf was absolutely one of my favorite highlights from this past year. I feel better to have known you, and I'm really excited to see what you produce in this community. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been fun talking with you again. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.